I had been at a party and met um, another barber who owned a shop in Louisville. He's basically like, yeah, you got you got a job if you want it, you know. And so, but I am so for Huntington, it's it's just seeped into my being that I was like, I can't go anywhere. I I want to be here. And if I'm going to do things for me, I'll do them my way and how I want it. This is Commonplace, the show about creative people and the things that inspire them. I'm Nathan Thomas. Today on the show, we have barber and business owner Jacob McComas, who owns Jewel City Barbershop and Jewel City Salon in downtown Huntington, West Virginia. In our conversation, we talked about how he got into barbering as a profession, using the shop as a place for community building, and what it was like running a business and even expanding during the height of the COVID pandemic. Here's my conversation with Jacob McComas. So, how many, like today, how many people's hair did you cut? I cut 15. 15? Is that about the average? I do 12 to 15 a day, um, except for my half days, which is half that. I mean, obviously. Um, And I, I, I did that. So I wouldn't hate doing my job, you know, because it is a passion and is, you know, not a not a hobby. It's something that I actually like doing. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, I guess hobbies are things. What you puts like food on your table? Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I, I average from. You know, there's some days where I'm like, hey, I want to have an easy day, so I'll do like twelve. But fifteen's fifteen's the average. 15, twelve to seventeen. And, and that's, that's what two an hour, sometimes two, three. Two an hour, sometimes three, depending on what it is. If I'm squeezing dad and the son in, you know, I'm doing beard trim, you know, certain different things like that. It's all it's all interchangeable. It's like a puzzle. So like the way I do my schedule, <clears throat> like if when I cut your hair, your hair was a little bit longer, so I'm gonna take up that thirty minutes pretty much. But if you were to come back for a trim you know, a week later, it would be like 15 minutes, just clean up over the ears and stuff like that. I could fit that in in like a 10 to 15 minute slot. So I would put you next to a beard trim guy. That way I could get as much done with the smaller projects than the bigger project. And it's the puzzle of putting those together with when the time's available for the client and trying to make it like gel together. Exactly. Over the time, it's been like making i always say it's a puzzle but i've it's uh, you know i've been doing this for eight years so eight years you know there's always the option of having um the booking apps the book season the cuts and all these other other people do them and that's fine and you know um it makes their lives easier but for me one it takes personality out of it that's the first one but two, well, it's another place that you send your revenue towards another yeah, cut out of your pocket. That too. But I also much rather if you're going to make an appointment with me, you're going to say, hey, man, can I get you in on this date? Or even us talking about this. There's a personality to it that keeps me grounded with my client. Um, and I think that as much as it would make my ease, my life more streamlined, that having that instance of like, hey, how's it going? 
point I, of connection. Yeah. How's your day? Um, brings the client back to me. Um, cause it's just not automated. I don't like my business to be automated. Um, that also allows me to build my book the way I prefer to be booked. You know, certain guys on certain days or certain vibes, you know, I, I can do that. You know, I can have a guy who doesn't talk a lot. And then I have a guy who talks too much. You can or, put the guy who kind of, I don't want to say like trauma dumps or anything, but treats you like a therapist. That's true. And then put the guy who's like, you know, the quieter person immediately after. That mm-hmm. way you can kind of get your mental stability back. Because that happens. It, that people will unload, like, barbering is one of those trades and one, just one of those things in our society in general, like bartenders, mm-hmm. you know? People, well, people are going to interview Jake Farley and tattooing is Perfect. the same way. Tattooing and, and barbering are, are, are brothers, you know, where that it's you a lot. You see a lot of barbers have tattoos. A lot of tattooers have nice hair. You know, we, we tend to befriend those guys a lot of the time because it's similar trade. We, we book appointments, we do our service. Go back to it. You know, it's just all over. But and it's a lot of like one-on-one human connection. It is. And so um, on stuff like that, we're, you know, just a, an example of the day, a guy just unloaded something that I would never expect about something in his life. And you're just like, oh, man. Like, Little heavy. I had to sit with it for a second because I was just like, and then I went home and, you know, you just got to like decompress for a second. Cause you're like, man, this awful thing happened to this guy and he's living his life with that. And then you, I also now have a part of it. I have a, a, a just as much as it might wash away the next day in that moment, he's thrown it to me and I'm just like, whoo, you know, now I have to, it's on your mind too. Yeah. And I have, it, sometimes it's not as big, but there's times when somebody will tell you, <laughs> people don't want to, realize sometimes what they're saying but when you go in and you have a comfort with somebody especially like if i've had somebody for a long time and i know the ins and outs of their life because i know their dad you know their dad i know their mom i know because they've told me about you're hearing about their kids being born exactly hearing about their kids going to school or being you know exactly and so let's say you know i had those clients at the beginning of my career now I have eight years later, I have guys who I've seen their children be born and then grow up, you know, and then, you know, you hear spousal issues and, you know, just hating their jobs or you see people transition a lot of different things in their lives. Like, you know, whether it be for the good or the bad, you know, you can see them kind of fall down a little bit. I've mm. seen people fall. I've seen people grow. So it's been super interesting, you know. You know, I think what Sunday's the day you usually do your bookings. Monday. Monday mm-hmm. is part of that helping the like, okay, I'm not at work. I'm trying to clock out so I can yes. clear my head and then prepare myself for the the work ahead. Hundred um, percent. I did it on Monday because um, a lot of the time I felt weird on Mondays. I, I worked in the you know I was a barista for eight years, so you know, life was normal Monday through Friday. Life was normal. And then when you get into barbering, a lot of the times you're working Tuesday to Saturday. And then so on my Mondays became, 
I feel like I need to be doing something. You know, half my life I've been working on Mondays. You feel like, oh, no, I'm. this is a day that I'm just not doing anything. And so Mondays became my day to start the week. Like, this is, this is in preparation for that. Um, I know who I have for the week. I, it fits perfectly. I get my stuff done, and then I go do errands for the rest of the week for the shops or for home or whatever. That way I just felt productive on that day. You know, Sunday is a lay around, do nothing. Um, but I also wanted to get it so where I didn't do an app or something like that, that I, I don't answer text messages automatically. Or you'll still have those notifications. Yes. So I keep them, I call it a queue. Mm-hmm. You're in queue. Um, Unless, I, like, work life, personal life, all off the same cell phone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, especially with, um, getting with my girlfriend and she really, you know, this is a different life for her. My phone's going off constantly. You know, I'm working, I do advertising for my phone. I do, you know, all the social medias for both shops. Um, I do my booking, you know, everything, any connection is through phone. And so, um, with the Mondays, if I kept it all to that day and I kind of, I say train, but I, I, you know, I got my clients on a schedule of, Hey, he's, he's not ignoring me. He's going to reach back out to me on Monday. And I'm for sh- I'm in, I'm in line first before this next guy. So I'm for sure going to get in. So that's how I do that. And it, it was just to kind of, n- I know my phone is going off, but I don't have to, I don't have the urgency like I did in my first year to have to answer it right away you know back then it was like oh i got a phone call i gotta you know there's an understanding there between you and the client yeah yeah i know i'm i wasn't necessarily a special case but i know like my hair cutting schedule isn't the norm where you know i got one uh earlier you know in what late january and before that, the last haircut I got was December of the year before. So it had been over a year. Uh, and then before that, it was like every six months or something. But what's the average, you'd say, of like people coming in? Is it like monthly, every other month? I mean, you know, everyone is so different. And, and, and that's the beauty of it for me. Because I have guys who are every week. I have a, I've had a guy every Saturday for eight years. He's, he's, that's his spot. He's eight. He's or he's whatever time I throw to him that day. He is that time on a Saturday every week. But his thing was, hey, you know, I don't have any vices. I don't drink. I don't go out and party. I don't do. I get my hair cut. That's his vice, you know. But it also works structurally for me because if I have my every two weeks guys who are my kind of bread and butter guys, you know, those are the guys that are paying the bills you know so i have those guys and um you know especially with putting it in a book they they book before they leave they're in the book but then i have guys like you who are either a couple months or a couple like a year let's say my every two week guys go on vacation i have to fill that spot so that comes into guys like that who are every three months and i'm like hey man i have the perfect spot for you you know like here this this fits perfect so it all just kind of goes in a cycle of booking and so it's it's like i said it's kind of like an art of having to figure that out and figure that cycle out and be like oh okay well 
being I have able to make projections about where the shop finances are going to be. Exactly, exactly. Yes, at all times, <laughs> constantly worried about that. Um, because like, you know, I mentioned this when I got it done. I was going for like the whole total transformation thing of like I wasn't telling anyone that I was getting this beard that was halfway down my chest removed to the point where like everything from like co-workers to the mayor was pointing out how weird it was <laughs> that's awesome yeah and like we live in a town small enough where like the mayor would notice something like that of like huh? and he did the whole like tugging at a beard that isn't there um it took by the way a little over a week for me to stop grabbing at the air here the, your phantom beard yeah where <laughs> there was just nothing um and for about a week after I was doing a thing where I was still like pushing imaginary hair all the way in my mouth so I could eat the 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 phantom limb that's it's, what it is it's strange but you know I'm here for it cuz the thing I was going for was that like before and after thing of like really shocking people well I think we we talked about that right you said that you know people had done the whole tired stereotype old mountain man you're you're the same joke yeah the same stupid joke and it's like oh that's fine but like for you in that moment you wanted that beard you want you wanted that look yeah and then now you have the look you're going for now which is also a good look too i like a five o'clock shadow i that's what i rock usually (laughs) but like you know (sighs) did i tell you about doing stand-up afterwards no okay because you went straight from there well, it was, we got it done on, I want to say, a Tuesday, and then, or maybe it was a Wednesday. Either way, was it that day? I think you went out that day. Okay, maybe it was that day, Um, to having a uh, stand-up open mic at Cellar Door, and uh, Justin, Justin Murdoch, the guy who runs them now, uh, started doing a thing where he passes around like a donation pot and then the comic who has the best set of the night uh gets the money in that jar and i go up there and i do five minutes of stand-up mostly about getting it cut and like the transformation of it of like i used to look like this now i like i think one of the jokes was like I used to look like the fun member of a Mumford and Sons type, like stompy folk band. And now I look like the guy who got kicked out of said band because he liked Joe Rogan too much. And just five minutes of uh, uh, haircut material. And I won <laughs> the night. I won the pot. So like that day, um, I made the amount I paid for the haircut and then some right on and like singles <laughs> right on. That's awesome. Was, I love that. That's an awesome idea though, that he's doing too. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. I like I, that. I told him, um, because like the winner shouldn't be up for the next one. Uh, so I don't just demolish cause you know, I would. <laughs> okay. Other comics here are listening to this. I'm just kidding. Justin Murdoch has good hair. Very good hair. Uh, is that one of your heads too? Uh, no, I but he he he. I admire him from afar of uh, of his nice hair every time I see him. Um, but you <coughs> said you've been doing this eight years now. When was the genesis of like, oh, I want to get into doing hair, or like this is a profession that I should uh, uh should chase? Man, it's all 
back to that first bit of Instagram. When Instagram started getting hot and heavy is when um, I was a barista at the uh, the hospital. And no offense to people who are baristas, but at the time, I had already floated through life a little bit. I had kind of wasted my 20s. And so here I am about 26, 27, and I worked with a guy who was in his 30s, and he was working at this coffee shop. And I was, you know, great guy, still a good friend of mine and a client of mine. And I was like, man, you know, I just don't want to be 30 working in this coffee shop. I was like, I got to figure th- my career move, like, because I hadn't had a career. I just had jobs, just jobs, jobs that were not freeing. It, it wasn't free. I still had to be, I still had to clean espresso machines I didn't want to do that you know so you know I looked at myself one day and I was like okay well what do I want to do and by the time I was going to see a different barber who was in town and what was real popular was the pompadour was back like back in full fledged like everybody had a pompadour and from back in the day like Tyler Childers everybody was going to the same barber in town you know uh, so I was going to him pretty regularly and then when Instagram came around and hashtags were like the actual back in the day. Yeah. And they actually helped barbering was huge because, you know, barbering is an age old kind of trade, but it was never visually outside of those books on the table or the poster in the, in the shop. There was not such an onslaught of visual, you know, media for you to consume of it. Like you got to see, the the cuts themselves the the guys became the the barbers became rock stars you know and you became oh this is my favorite barber now you didn't have that because it was just some dude in Los Angeles that you would never ever see you know but then it became you you got to see the lifestyle and everything and so when I was playing with like my hair to get ready for work I was like eh, I could I like this I like playing and making myself look nice and I liked the vibe of this barber, and um, at the time, he was going to start his own thing, and I said, well, well, what if I go to school, and he was just like, yeah, do it, and that was it. I went to go work for him, and then that was it, Like, and then even more so, Instagram just shot it into the, the world, because just like tattooing, you know, guys had books that showed them their favorite tattooers if they put it out. You know, they could see flash sheets, but they never it was never accessible to you to you until you had your phone in your hand. It was never as immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'd go you would go to the for you page and I would see fifty haircuts and then be like, Oh, I wanna I wanna learn how to do this, this and this and I wanna be like this guy, you know? This guy dresses this way, you know. And it was one of those things where d- that just set me into a course of like, oh I love this now, you know. And then we got to, you know, barber school and you're just in this world, this crazy world. And like, it's hard when you're not like a part of something for a long time. And then you're a part of something and everyone's a part of that. Like I, I, I went to barber school with guys from all over the state and they were just here for that one thing. And I was like, that's awesome. You know, like as if like a bunch of musicians went to school together, you know, like you want, you're in music school, you know, that's crazy. Cause you're all just about it. You have, you have thought 
the sa- you, your thoughts are the same. And you're immersed in it, like, completely. Oh, from the time I went to, be- like, so I went to go stay with my dad. Um, at, at 27 years old, I lived with my dad and my stepmom, which is wild. I mean, you were working towards something. Give yourself a break. <laughs> That's true. And I worked if it. If you didn't. If you had it, the thought in your head of like, oh, I can't be 27 and live with my parents, and like you didn't do that, yeah. then where would you be now? Exactly. Now I love that. Now I love the thought of that I'd uh, learn to, I, I went to go learn how my dad was at an older age, you know? I'm not 16 anymore, you know? And so I, I, was, I was working night times, you know, I was going to school from 8.30 in the morning until uh you know 4 30 in the afternoon and then i got this little job at little caesars to help me pay my car payment at the time it was the only bill i had it was i had to pay my car payment and i worked there for three weeks to get a paycheck to pay the car payment off and then i just quit <laughs> just because it was awful but you're just immersed is from that time from like 8 30 in the morning until 4 30 at night you're just with these guys who are just as down for this as you are some of them not so much some of them are just this is kind of the job that they had to do because you know i went to school with the guys who had ankle bracelets on and you know being a barber is something that no one looks at your your background a lot so guys with you know fresh out of prison were getting jobs um but you have these other guys, these young dudes. You know, I went to school with guys from like Morgantown and and Bluefield and Princeton. They would drive down, and we would just be immersed in this thing all day long because we'd be we'd be on our iPads like watching the video, trying it on each other. Um, so, what do barbering classes look like then? <laughs> And are, are the classes separated from, like, hairstylists and, like, the salon thing? Yes. So on Capitol Street up in Charleston, I went to school at the uh, Tri-State Hair Beauty or something like that. Barber schools in general, or just any hair schools, are just a money grab. They're just getting you ready to take a test. That's all they are. Um, you know, if you get in the big corporations <coughs> and you're doing um, – like Paul Mitchell, they're very structured, but they're still wanting the money. They still want you to sell their product. So no matter what, it's it's just structuring. So um, when I went to school, the first floor was hairstylists, then it was estheticians and nails, and then the top floor was the barber division. So you're all kept separately. I mean, you would come down every once in a while and teach the girls how to use clippers or stuff like that. Um, but you do from... 8 o'clock or 8.30 in the morning until about 10 o'clock, you do schoolwork. We learn the book, you know, take tests and do all that stuff. And then as soon as that happens, you're on the floor. You like So the first couple weeks, I think it's like your first month, you're in a classroom all day. So you're doing stuff on mannequins. You're doing, you know, all the kind of first steps learning your tools, learning how to use them, do all those things. And then you're kind of just thrown to the wolves and they're just like, well, figure it out from here. Like, I think like the first guy I had, he was passing out. Uh, he was pretty in rough shape. Um, coming off of the, the, the transit in Charleston there, they would give out stipends. So free stipends for free haircuts. So you could get every walk of life 
you know, every person. You get a free haircut, but also it's a person who's only been doing it a month or so. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and there's, 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 there is signs everywhere. They're like, hey, this is, this is a learning place. You cannot get mad if you don't have the crispiest lines and you don't, because people would come in and want that. And you're just like, this is an institution. Like, yeah. this is a place where people are learning this to do this. This is a zero dollar haircut. Don't be mad. Yeah, I, I had this guy want, for the longest time, and I would always try to dodge him. But he wanted a pencil thin beard around his face. And I'm talking, he wanted not the pencil, he wanted the lead. Like, it's just was the tiniest line around his neck. And he was adamant. Like, he would be like, you have to, like, this is what I want. And you're just sweating. You're just like trying to get this line as like perfectly symmetrical while always like it's just a little line. And so it's like you're trying to learn all these things and you have every walk of life, every crazy person off the street, any, any, anything comes in those doors. And it's, it's a pretty, you're just thrown to it and they're just like, yep, figure it out, man, figure it out. Um, you know, but like I said, that's just a random place in West Virginia. You know, there are some that are a little bit more like there's a one in place called Carver, which is in the back end of Charleston, um, and it's in a school. So there's a little bit more of a, a structure to that one. Um, like I said, Paul Mitchell's a little bit more structured. But the one I went to, they're just like, hey, where's the money? You know, can can we have your all the your any of your uh, student loans or all of them and you just give it to them and they get you ready for a test. How, and that test is like through the state to yeah. get certified. Yeah. How often do you have to like go and renew that? Or is it like, okay, you did it. You're good. Um, you renew your license every year. Uh, but then they started to do like, uh, continued education, which, ended up still being a money grab. They, they just want you to like learn the same sanitation things for like seven years and then you don't have to take it anymore. So they cut it off at like, I think it's like five or, or six or seven years. They cut it off. Um, they want that test fee. They want that money. It's like $30 every year just to like get it redone. And so, and it's like, Oh, you can go take a, um, a CPR class and that's, that's part of me getting my continued education, which I kind of give because there's a, a client in the chair and they, anything could go wrong. But yeah, it's just hey, let's get some money in our pockets, uh, and you're gonna pay it. So, how how long is that process of like preparing you for that test uh, within within the school? Mine was nine months, so I went for nine months, and then it varies. Mine's just. And it's very weird how it's everything is different. Like hairstylists and cosmetologists, and those are two different things. And they have to go X amount of uh, out of months, and then we have to go X amount of months. But the only thing that's different is I don't study nails, and I can use a straight razor. Literally, that that's pretty much it. You 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 both study the same things until you get to these little offset things. Um, well, but what's heavy in the state is regulation of straight razors, which is kind of weird, um, to me personally. Um, because you can learn it the same way. I learned how to use a straight razor within like a week. So 
I mean, there sh- if they if they wanted to, they could just do straight razor tests, and you could get it done, you know, and and you'd be the same. You'd graduate with the same thing that I graduated with, which is just it. I, it makes no sense how they've put these different. I don't know these different things on different categories, and it just. It never makes sense because you're just like, okay, well, I did all of this except for this one thing. They could probably just do this one thing and do the same. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. But it's all different. And so you got through, you uh, passed the test, you come back here to start working. Uh, what was the initial process of just getting clients together? Was it reaching out to like friends and family or just taking walk ins at the shop you were at and then? letting it gradually grow from there. Yeah. So I was very lucky. Um, the, the, the shop that I worked at originally was very new and very popular. Um, it got a lot of people in and the guy I worked with at the time was very popular. And, um, you know, I'm thankful to him for that. Um, and so he got a lot of buzz. And so people, it was just him at the first, you know, and then I came and it's just like all you call on everybody, you know, you call on all your family members and hey, you know, my brother's my first one at this time. And so with that, there was a big um chalkboard that had times on it. And so when people would walk in, they'd put their name on a time instead of the traditional walk in where you just sit and wait. Um and so that kind of was the beginning of my structured like even it, we just took the chalkboard and put it in a book, you know, it was built into you from the jump. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. So you go from there and then it's just, and then it's just making connections through throughout that. Um, in my first couple, my first two years, I found that I had gained two sets of clients. I had gained this whole fraternity and then I had gained a bunch of like blue collar dads, because uh, some uh, a lady that stopped in told all of her friends at a yoga class. And so I just got like this <laughs> huge influx of just middle-aged dudes who wore suits and then frat boys who would never show up. So like, you know, it's this constant, it was this constant struggle. And the frat boys probably grew up to become the dudes in suits. Exactly. And it's so weird. But, you know, the good thing about it, about it though is, social media at that time too you know i posted one picture of one guy in this fraternity and then i had his whole fraternity because they were like oh man that's where you get your cut and so we're all going to come here and i used to live on this dream where those guys would be my clients forever because i could just ride it out but i was like no that's not going to happen these guys have four good years and then they're out and they're i have to cycle in something new so with that i kind of learned that you have to take anything and everything so anything that came at me had it and then after that it's just finding connections within you know especially within the community i got really into music real into local music i made a lot of friends there and then you know by that when people see you support them they support you and so you know i'd make it a point to go to the v club and i'd make loud and go there and and even if i didn't like the music just being there was enough just just to be seen and sh- and show my support and put that 5 10 15 dollars in into the the set 
was enough to get somebody to come see me, you know? And so I was very lucky after that. And so just keeping those connections was what has made me to where I am at. Um, and so it was just, you know, grinding and, 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 and keeping connection with people, um, and being genuine, you know, I always, that's for me, it's constantly bad. It's constantly, uh, just staying in between the lines of genuine and marketing, you know, there as a barber you have to make genuine connection with everybody if not you're just a fraud you know and and people can sniff that out pretty pretty fast because i've worked with people who've if you're not like kind of a genuine dude they'll they'll be like no no, i don't want to come to you you know that's with any kind of trade but juggling the the want to be 100% 100% authentic and, and genuine to everybody while also in the new age of advertising and trying to look cool or be cool or to bring customers in uh, is it that's that's a balancing act in itself um, which is really interesting you know because you have to you have to be real with people you know but they also have to like oh see this video you made you know, and they have to decide whether or not they're going to come to you in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm thinking about how, you know, my first couple of years in Huntington, I kind of floated between a couple of different shops of like, oh, I just want to get it done. I'm just going to walk in somewhere. Uh, I didn't have like a person that I went to, but at a certain point, I just you know, I wanted to find, like, my barber, my person, the thing where, like, it's either values or the connections there. I would go into shops and as a walk-in, and they wouldn't really even acknowledge that I had entered until it was time for it, which, like, I get that they're doing tests and they have things to do, um, but it felt like I was just invisible until it was time to take my $20 or whatever. Um, and like, you know, the reasons for wanting to choose a specific shop was like, oh, well, here's the, it was like just right as you were opening, like here's the new shop in town. It aligns with what I believe. So I'll just start going there see if that clicks. Yeah. And, and there is, you know, Huntington, it has so many barbers. There's a lot. Um, it's kind of made it hard, but you know there is the the shop that has the TV on the wall and the, and the, and they're playing sports and they're everybody's talking sports, and that's fine. I, you know that's just not who I am. I don't connect on that way. I'm th- I like music and I like, uh, you know I like having conversation and um I I chose to not have that distraction in my shop to continue connection with people. I wanted to hear the story, you know, but there's. You know, there's the barber, the the old school barber who, you know, you sit down, you don't talk, you get out, you're done. You know, the probably has Fox News on in the corner. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, or, you know, just like. And then there's the whole like black barbershop, which is a whole community unto itself. And 100%. like a cultural uh, pastime. And so that's a funny, that's a, a something I had to learn out the gate. Um, I was I was born and raised in Virginia Beach, so like I had been around every culture 
through military, you know, Filipino, black, white, anything in between. Um, and then I moved here. It's kind of different. But, you know, when I went to barber school, you start talking more about race in a way that was not negative or any way. You just, it, you talked in it by texture, hair texture, how you do things. You know, black hair is a little bit more coarse. There's different ways of, of uh, you know, going towards it. Um, there's a lot of stereotypes on different people, be it, be it black or white. You know, there's there's Asian uh, barbershops. There's all kinds of, you know, there's anything you can think of. There's people who are inclusive, and there's people who are staunchly n- not inclusive, and they'll tell you, you know. But, you know, you when you when I, when I went to barber school, I had to learn that that I was like, oh, this was not this is not saying these things negatively. It's like, oh, there's cultures to all of these things, and so you had to learn that okay well asian hair is is texturally different and you have to tackle that um but they sometimes much rather just go to an all asian place you know just like black barbershops have their own culture their own world and have been for years you know and so you had to learn how to navigate that and there's there's people who encompass all of those things they they can be the every man barber the every race nationality there's some people who don't get it, you know, and they can just do white hair, you know, and so, or they prefer to do one style, you know. I know a guy who um, cuts in Princeton, and he's pretty much all high and tights and flat tops and beard trims, and that's it. Like, you don't come out of his shop with anything fancier. And so, you know, it all comes down to that. It's just, we're, we're in a, you know, every everybody has their own different thing, and so you'll find that barber, and some people like dealing with an asshole, you know? So they'll go to that asshole barber who doesn't want to talk to you, but when you go into the chair, he's talking to you or something like that, or he might, he might not, you know? He might be quiet the whole time and just get out of my chair, you know, and collect your cash and you're out. So <clears throat> some people like that, but you have to depend on, you have to figure out who you are as that person, you know? So within figuring out what type of barber you were becoming within that first uh, uh, job and when was the point where it clicks in your head of like oh maybe I want to be a business owner start my own shop and then what was the process of you know your shop has a very specific interior design to it to like create this uh feeling or vibe inside like how important was getting that down as well to creating the overall like feel of the shop so <clears throat> when i was in my last couple of years the shop i was at we just didn't jive anymore um our personalities were a little bit different you know what we thought was important was different from what i was important and i f- saw that it started to affect my clientele you know i had people ask me hey you know why is this a certain way, you know? And I'm when you start when pe- when my own clients started asking me those questions, I was like, okay, well, I've outgrown this, and so I need to do my own thing because I was fine just being the other side, you know. I was fine just being the barber who didn't own the place. I could have rode out my whole career in that position, which was fine because but it started to affect the work. When it started to affect my work, and then I started looking around me. 
I was like, well, I don't fit in, in any of these puzzle pieces in any of these other shops. So what am I going to do? And so for a brief stint, I thought about moving to Louisville and uh, one of my close friends lives there. And so I had been at a party and met um, another barber who owned a shop in Louisville. He's basically like, yeah, you got you got a job if you want it, you know. And so, but I am so for Huntington, it's it's just seeped into my being that I was like, I can't go anywhere. I, I want to be here. And if I'm going to do things for me, I'll do them my way and how I want it. Um, and then it went just from the idea of, okay, well, I want to provide a space, not only for my creativity, but for others, free of charge. And so that went into looking for a space that was big enough for that. Um, then it was like, okay, well, I want to be community-based. And so I wanted to put my feet into that too. And then I want it to be like somewhere I would hang out. And so where I was hanging out at the time was a lot of tattoo shops because I was getting heavily tattooed at that point until I got some money to get tattooed. Um, and so the culture of tattooing was, like I said earlier, um, it's a, br- a brother to barbering. You know, a lot of tattooers hang out with barbers. A lot of the culture is interchangeable. You always see a barber with a nice clean haircut and you're like, oh, that guy's probably got a barber friend who's probably tattooed, you know. And so um, the local local shop that I was hanging out with at, um, they kind of had a changing of the guard. Um, and, you know, a couple of my buddies left from that place that they were hanging out. And, you know, it's still successful and, and doing well. Both, both people are. But um, I was like, well... I want my shop to kind of be like a tattoo shop that cuts hair in. And the original idea was to have a barber shop, a tattoo shop, and then the salon. So where Chandler's is in between us would just be a tattoo shop. But then my buddies opened up in the West End and he had something. I was like, well, I don't need a tattoo shop, you know. Um, And then at one point I have an office in the back and there were, my buddy was coming in from Louisville to tattoo out of it. And I was like, well, that's cool. And so I was like, the more the more that I decorated, the more that it became looking kind of like a tattoo shop, but then also married with a barber shop. And the the back room was supposed to be just a straight up green room because there's a uh, uh, there's an entrance in the back where you can pull gear in. So I was like, well, that's awesome. So all the people that play shows here can just hang out in this back room, and then we can have the show in the front. That way they can do their thing and get it all, you know, situated. And so it kind of just grew from there, you know. It just grew from me wanting those things. And then I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. And then we made it happen. <laughs> so It's uh, it's also, you know, just looking around at the decor, it's turned into like a little mini museum of whether it's like big boy stuff. Yeah. A lot of like Virgin Mary paraphernalia. um, A script that Kirsiri shot within the barbershop we left you a copy of it and you put it up yeah and i loved that short that short was amazing that short's one of the best shorts that was ever thrown through the shop i love that we uh we appreciate that and like providing that space for us to shoot it in was when it's like a very specific idea too really helps uh and you know you provide that space to musicians who play whatever 
Um, but back to the idea of it is a museum, uh, you know, whether it be all the horse trader stuff, RIP, my, or the my, good... My uh, very specific uh, uh, curation of, of horse traders memorabilia that no one else has. It, <laughs> you know, I'm glad someone has it. What a band. The, I miss them every day. The, the, the drum head was the most important thing. The drum head, if I didn't... If I didn't have the drumhead, I would. I don't think that I would ever be satisfied that I didn't get that drumhead. And when that came in through the door, I automatically knew what it was. I automatically was stoked to have it. I also have a own a own a drumhead in there too. I have quite a few little uh, just old bands and stuff like that who've given me things. Or that 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 drumhead was given to me. Uh, Max Nolte, who was the drummer of Ona, lived upstairs. And so one day he was like, "Hey man, brought you this." And then just I have a own a drum head, and I was like, "Oh, sick! This is awesome." And uh, in addition to to the uh, uh, Huntington's response to Charleston's West Virginia Music Hall of Fame exhibit, um, you've also got the most important artifact in the city's history, which is of course the <laughs> um, <laughs> the Carousel Club sign. Yes, that all came from a joke during COVID. Um, my buddies, you know, pre coming into COVID was just such a crazy time. I'm sure it was a big, like shock just as a first time business owner. COVID was in my first year. And so here I spent all this time getting blood, sweat, money, everything, you know, I'm laying on my back, putting up, you know, stuff on the ground, you know, I'm uh, everything. So Coming into COVID, it was such a crazy time. It was such an unknown. But when during that time, we would all get on FaceTimes together. And uh, Ryan Worley, who owns West End Tattoo Club, had got that building right before COVID. So he's like, he was in the thick of it. Like, your business can't even open yet, you know. And they were trying to work on some stuff to get it going. I'm just like Jake. I think I, the other day was talking about that too. Um, but. <laughs> we had been down there and I had been down in that same room for, uh, you guys had a, uh, alias alias is there, but we had the, it was like on the end of it, there was a, um, was it something with HMAF or it was some kind of, uh, uh, where they were showing, uh, uh the like short film short screening. Films. Yeah. 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 Yeah, before it was the tattoo shop, it was just that community space where... It was a nice space. Artists had free reign to do whatever, basically, for a year and a half or so. I, so we came out of that um, building one day, and I was like, man, that sign, that's a cool sign. I was like, I probably, I want to I wanna have that sign. And somebody else who, Mike Adkins, most exalted, he would probably, if he could, get away with killing me to have that sign because he wants it too. He's always wanted. I think he even sent them an offer. Um, but me getting it was built on a joke in a COVID group chat, and I and I told Worley at the time. I said, "Dude, I bet you X amount of money you cannot," because he's the the master of getting anything he wants. And so I was like, "I bet you can't get that sign." And he was like, okay. Uh, and so... And just context for listeners, on 14th Street West, it's a bunch of uh, antique shops, uh, but at one time it was also home to the last strip club within Huntington City Limits, the Carousel Club. Yes. Uh, Rough which, around the corners. 
very rough. <laughs> and it was a club that closed down full time a number of years ago. Um, the dad of the family died. The building left with the kids. Uh, but to keep that um, strip club license, like now that it's done and they've turned in the strip club license, you cannot get a strip club license within the city limits again. It was grandfathered in. Uh, but they would reopen every so often just long enough to keep the uh, – because it's you close down and then X amount of months or years after that, the license ends. Yeah. Uh, and they would open it back up every now and then to keep the license alive. But at that point, by COVID time, uh, the kids of the guy who wants it in the building – and I say kids, and they're probably in like their 30s or 40s or One whatever. of them was at a ti- time was – was a, a lawyer or something yes. to do with law and um they eventually turned in the license yeah and, and so that that sign was the was the end that was mm-hmm. it the and last piece the last piece the and best of the worst and it's funny it's there's two different signs there is it's a old sign that was um kind of form-fitted and it says best of the west and there's one side that is uh was must have been rebuilt and put on plexiglass that's the best in the West. So they don't even match. It's so weird. But I get a call one time when we were out of COVID. I get a call and he's like, Hey, can you keep me down here with uh, X amount of money? And I was like, Why? He's like, Because me and you are going to make a deal real quick. And it was such, such a backdoor business deal for some reason. I, it's all, I all but had to like cut my hand and shake somebody's hand for a blood oath for this sign. Like Tell we, your coworkers, hey, if I'm not back in 20 minutes, call the cops. Yeah, exactly. And so we had to get down there. We had to be down there. This this family member had to oversee us. They would not pay for it to be taken down, so we had to hire our own crew to get it. Uh, and just like it was just such a weird situation. And so um, I luckily got my half. He kept the co- I, he has the cooler half down in West End. We both, and I think that kind of set our affiliation with each other. Uh, of being friends, you know, because a lot of us, even my team, get tattooed down there. We cut their hair, you know, so it's kind of like an affiliation with each if other. If a client comes in, gets their haircut, and says, hey, do you know a good tattoo artist around yeah. here? You can send them down. If someone down there says, hey, do you know where I can get a good haircut? Exactly. And so they have our cards, we have their cards, and so on. And so, yeah, I had the sign, and it is a talking piece i mean everyone if they like just tilt around the corner and they're like is that the is that the carousel club sign I'm like yeah it's mine like i i own that yeah and they're like well how'd you get it and i'm just like oh yeah man i just had to stab somebody for it <laughs> just to make, make up, up a, a different reason every time <laughs> yeah yeah and even like the weird little like I think having weird shit like that and, like, such specific, like, references to Huntington culture that doesn't even exist anymore, like, helps show the community-orientedness of the shop, too. Yeah. If I could have any sign to any little weird rabbit hole of this town that somebody found, I would put it up. Like, somebody had – one of my clients has the -the off-the-shoulder sign. And he made it into a table at his house. I'm like, dude, if you ever want to get rid of it, I'll gladly put it in my shop. Like, if it's if it's some dive bar that like 
if Hanks ever wanted to get shut down, I would be like, hey, give me the front glass and I will put it somewhere. Like, scrape it off, give it to me. But like anything, just like, don't let it go into a dumpster. Yeah, and that's what that, that's how I felt about the carousel club club sign. Is I th- I would not put it past them that they would just throw it away. Yeah, they would just not let anybody have it. Luckily, Ryan was good enough to persuade them, and this his conversations with them went back and forth for a long time. Um, and so I I wouldn't put it past them just to throw it away. And so I'm glad that it didn't get thrown away and it gets to be put into two small businesses within the town and different places of the town that it's going to be taken care of for its the rest of its life. Like we had a, uh, a frame custom built for that sign. Like West End has the original metal sign and then my perhaps slipped out and then I just had somebody, a local artist, um, uh, put it together and make make it and, and put it on the wall and it's like anchored onto the wall so it's a great piece it's uh every time i think if i dug in my phone i'd find a picture with me in front of it as like a gag yeah the picture i always think of though is that one tim Cla- uh, tim lancaster picture where he's in front of it yeah and that's a i think that's a uh uh, most exalted picture I too. I think so too. Yeah, um, there's a couple of them. There, one of my favorites is is Adam Bearclaw's in front of one, and he loves that that's in there. That's one of his favorite things too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was such a get. It was something that like okay, I can check this off my list. I got is this. it getting it was like a nice bright spot for you in COVID while like you're worried about like the business you're constantly adding chairs to the shop but now you can't cut hair having to figure out finances that was a weird time man it was very weird yeah i mean even you know talking to jake about tattooing they're opening up in the midst of all this and they can't even do tattoos for the six months and you mentioned the connection between like barbering and tattooing you know it's similar in that like it's two people very close together yeah and now there's all of these restrictions. You can't cut hair for X amount of time. And it's just a weird time that I'm not sure we've all fully processed. I'm not sure we will. The day that I learned that, the, that, that the governor was going to shut everything down, um, was a bad day. I mean, I remember taking my last client and then just crying. I literally let everybody let leave. And I just sat in the shop and cried. And at one point, I was like, well, fuck this. Like, this is the end. Mm-hmm. And so there was a baseball bat w- in my shop. And I was like, uh, one client had brought uh, this handle of whiskey. And so I just took that whiskey and I sat down and drank it. And I was like, I'm going to take that bat and I'm going to bust every mirror in this shop. because oh, shit. Because if it, uh, that's me taking it away, that that's having some sort of power over it. Somebody took it away from me. It, be it a good thing, but I don't know the I don't know the end result. So the end result could be nothing. And so I can go around and smash all of these things that I worked hard for on my own. My, do it my own way. If I, if it's gonna go away, then I'm gonna do it. And so that was my thought 
but luckily my brother had walked in right at the right time and he was like, eh, put that down. Let's not, let's yeah, I'm gonna take this away. Let's me. talk about this instead of physically going for it. And then you talk it through, you figure out. And since then you've opened up a second shop. Uh, yes. And, and actually in, in the unknown of COVID, I actually grew. I gained Brandon who sits uh, to my left. Um, Brandon was in school during COVID and then continued after. And so he became my third or my fourth barber on my side. And then I gained a couple more at, like directly after COVID. And then um, the salon came after that Re- just a year ago, the salon came, but with COVID was just any kind of, dialing in like I had to dial in when we were when we were just sitting on our phones I had to make it like I was doing advertisements at that like hey don't forget about us we're coming um we even made a full-on PSA when we got back in the rules because there were shops who didn't care there was a shop in Ohio that just straight through COVID didn't you know good old boys just getting it done and they didn't care about any kind of regulation, whether they'd get shut down or anything. I was worried about my license. I had people saying, hey, well, can you just sneak in and cut my hair? Like, no, man. That one that's rude to me because I can lose my license here. Two, my reputation. Three, I am 100% down with what people tell me about this. Yeah. You know? And you're the shop owner, so if you lose your license as a business owner, it's going to look like shit for all these other barbers yeah. you have. And man, when we came out of it, or even the middle of it, we had people questioning why we were doing certain things. Well, because this is the regulation. I'm not. I'm not bending the rules as much as I want to be a rule bender in my life. This is something serious, and I am inches away from another human who I don't know who they go home to, and how they live their life. That they could me i could infect them at that time you know and they could go to their whole family because we are so close to each other and so we were very adamant on masking up and 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 keeping everybody outside you know we made that psa one fun it was you know it was kind of campy and fun and kind of made like an old psa and we wanted people to know that one we were taking it 100% serious and two that we weren't going to change like it was business as usual so covid had taught me a lot and it taught me how a lot how to be a business owner and how to like buckle down and really like just grit and take it but also not to let myself get stagnant and lose people's eye on my business like i had to like here's five different little animations I made. Like, let me shoot this out on all of my social medias at one time and like get some interaction to be like, Hey, you're going to need your haircut when this is all over. Um, and, and you'll need it bad considering yeah. most people really grew it out bad. Oh, man, that was a time that was a, that was like a, a really cool renaissance of like, <sighs> it was a refreshing thing because you could use your skill, you know, you know, if I get every two weeks, it's a guy, I'm just really just cleaning it up. But if a guy comes in a full head of hair and I have to get back to the original thing, I'm chipping away and kind of like, that's a challenge. It's a challenge at that point. And so I actually liked COVID because it made me grow as a barber 
because you're like, oh yeah, my wife has been putting a bowl on my head and doing doing a, a seven all the way up, and that's it. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. So it would be, or I I have looked in the mirror behind me and ed, you know edged myself up, and it's awful. So you had to like fix things or or just you know go back to the original and get back to business. Um, but yeah, it was it was it made me grow in so many different ways um for me to to open the salon because i didn't want to go any further because i was scared but then like covid just pushed me to that next level of like okay we got to do this other thing and then continue to grow when you're doing something like opening up a salon or knowing that you know say one of your chairs is going to leave you and there'll be a space opening up in the shop is there poaching's not the right word for it, but is there a level of like talent scouting of like, oh, I hear this guy's like cool and good at what he does. Maybe we should try to bring him in. Or you hear about someone going through barber school being like, hey, maybe I want to give them their first shot. Yeah, it's very, it's, I'm very meticulous about that. Like I'm meticulous about my scheduling. And so I like to have a family type of atmosphere, you know, <laughs> my, I call it my fast and the furious, uh, kind of thing with family, you know? Um, and so I dial in on people that I want to be around every day, you know, people who have similar interests, people who have similar goals. Um, and it's fine. You know, I'm not blind to the fact that somebody's going to grow and outgrow me because I did that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that's just a part of it. But you do get people who realize that the other side is so much easier than the stress that I carry on my side. Being being um, being in trapped in like the owner role, you have to worry about everything. Your bills, whether those other people are there anymore, it it comes down to me at that point. So I have to do that. But I want to fill the room with people that, hey, we're all working to your goal. We see your vision. Mm-hmm. We like it. I want those, and we want to be with you. Um, the salon was a different thing because I'm not in that room. And so, and that's a different vibe. It is a very different vibe. And I had to learn that the hard way. Um, so what I went for was my manager at the time was or manager now is Julie. And I had known, I wouldn't say I did poach Julie, um, out of necessity. Not, I don't, I don't particularly like to poach or go for other people, especially if I see that they like where they work, you know? I might send a filler out like, Hey man, love your work. You know, if you ever decide that maybe this isn't for you, let me know. Um, uh, but Julie was specific because she was pretty boisterous and she was somebody who was no nonsense and she was looking to get out of where she was at anyways. And so I had to have that because I'm not in the room to do that because I have to be that person in my room. And so I built everything else pretty much around her. But at the beginning, I was like, yeah, we're going to have like leopard print on this side. It's going to be the the mirror version, but for, you know, salons over on this side. And she was like, no. And I'm like, no one ever tells me no one, you know, because this is my business. But I had to learn the hard way that she needed to tell me no. She needed to tell me no, this is not on my side. I'm in I'm in. I am tapped into that culture. So I know that my shop is timeless. 
salon culture is different. You know, they switch it up a little bit more. It's the, the, the aesthetic is different this year than it will be maybe next year. And so she had to like kind of hold my hand through that design element of that shop to, to be different, but similar to my shop in a, where I wouldn't lose it um, in the vision of, of my, my both shops. But she kind of be like, hey, you have to do it this way because this is what's popular. Um, and also very specifically saying barbershop and salon instead of like making it a gender thing of like men and women because you yeah. have men and women you have men who go to salons women who go to barbershops exactly etc um and, and, it, and it's not necessarily a, a genderized thing no and that and you know so the topic of that was something more the old shop that i worked at was specifically a barbershop and there is barbershop culture there's salon culture you know and they are different um, but you know, I didn't like the smell of perms and I didn't like, you know, sometimes people put, people will, uh, I don't want to say speak differently, but they'll let their guard down a little bit more if they're in separate places. You know, I, we cut men, women who prefer to be in a barbershop setting. They want to be in that setting. They want to have those conversations that you have in a barbershop. Um, you know, a uh, elderly lady who's getting a perm is probably not going to want to hear me and talk about what wrestling match I watched yesterday. And it's kind of weird, you know, but you know, with the salon, they also have guys who go there who prefer that there. I have people who are absolute rock stars over there who have been doing this for years and do like plenty of guys go to them. They're fine. They like that. They like the shop. They like that environment, but there's, there is a, there's a, distinction between the two and so the place that i had worked at prior didn't have this distinction and so i was like well i want to push back out of that and then we, we're open all we i have you know i have clients of all shapes sizes nationalities orientations everything because that's what barbering is it's, it's a community thing that's who i am as a person is that everything has to deal with community I don't want anyone to feel ran away from my shop or feel uncomfortable. Um, we don't talk about politics, religion, any kind of, you know, slander of any kind. We don't deal with that. And if, if, if it starts to bring up, then we shut it down instantly. Um, I've had people try to save me <laughs> in the barber chair. I've had people try to like get me to like a certain politician. And I'm like, no, we're not, this does not belong here, and this is not a conversation we should have. Um, so there is a distinction about it, but you know, every it's each his own. And I wanted to have a place where I had both of those things. Uh, it, it's provided, you know. If you want to come over to the barbershop side, awesome. We're gonna get you the same. We're gonna make you feel the same way that you would anywhere else, preferably, you know. So that's how that goes. Uh, so. Two shops, a book that is for the most part filled up. Uh, what does expanding look like now or growing look like? Is it just trying different things with the client, whether it be like the hairstyle you're cutting or is it uh, expanding in some other way? For me, yeah, especially recently, I'm 35. I know that's not old, but 
you know, I'm looking towards the future of like, okay, how do the, how do I make this work for me later on? And am I going to be the guys from Frank's, you know, and they're, you know, 90, 80 years old and I'm shaking my clipper coming towards your head or am I pivoting to different things within the same industry that might make more money with less demand on my body that will push me to that point of where I'll be okay. And then still have my vision of what my shops will be. Cause I, at that time, you know, you know, we're looking at more, um, hair replacement stuff. You know, what's popular right now is hair tattooing, like, uh, putting on like if, if you're, you're bald and then we can, just like eyebrows, like uh, doing pigment and eyebrows. So that's real popular right now. It's it's, it's hair pigmentation. Um, and so that's something to learn that we're looking at. Um, I want a box truck to go to festivals because I'm really involved in music and stuff like that. And so I've been looking to put a single chair inside of a box truck to take to festivals to, to add to, like, artist like backstage stuff Helps with the uh, the charity haircuts too yeah that too um which we've done a lot of that and it's just uh like we've gone to the hawk uh, which is the rehabilitation place and they kind of just have you out of the way and it's kind of just not fit for us to be in that room cutting hair so if we had a mobile situation where we could just pull it up you know that helps wrap it with our logo and stuff like that and people see it it's a it's a advertising thing at that point Plus, it is, you know, workable. Um, there is places up towards Barbersville, which I would like to be around Jason Beaver and, and everything he's doing because, you know, he's kind of like somebody I look up to as a entrepreneur. He's killing it right now. So um, I'd like to be close to him and add my little bit to what he's doing up in Barbersville. But like I said, you know, as I grow older, I want to keep placing younger people into these chairs that I have and allow them to grow. And if they want to go and do their own thing, that's fine. But like, I want you to keep it, you know, in that space and grow with it, you know, and that will help me later on in life to be just a shop owner. Um, you know, and just try to see what happens with, getting old, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the base that, you know, that's the thing is you always hear about old barbers and it's like, yeah, I want to be an old barber, but I don't want to like be sacrificing my body to it at that point. Um, and so, you know, expansion, I don't know if I would ever do another salon, but you know, barbershops are fine. They're easy to kind of like they're and they're not a lot of, they're not super expensive to open. So like if I were to go in a different you know, like Ashland or Taze Valley or somewhere around me in that situation, I don't find that that too that's too far off from my expansion. Uh, is there any barbering stories you have you want to tell, or anything that I haven't asked that you want to bring um, up? I don't know, man. I, barbering is just different every day. You know, the vibe is <laughs> you, you don't know what the vibe's gonna be. It's kind of the intrigue of it. Yeah, it's just like you don't know barbering or just hair in general is the, it's like the island of misfit toys, you know. There's a lot of different personalities. You have to you, you everyone is so 
crazy a lot of the times because we found this thing that we didn't have to have, you know, a super experience for, or we didn't have background checks or we didn't have all of these things. So you're like, you kind of go into the days differently and, you know, it's always something, you know? Yeah. So you see in like TV, like I think there's like an episode of King of the Hill that kind of touches on it. And then like guys just talking, there's always the thing of like, oh no, that's my barber. I can't go to anyone else or I'll be betraying them almost. And there's like a sort of anxiety around it. Um, Is there that anxiety from the barber side too of like they went to someone else? How dare they? Yeah, and I've actually dealt with this recently. Um, And you kind of have to, you kind of have to separate your feelings from a service. Um, As much as you, as much as you don't want to, people, you can never have some, you can never control how somebody's going to act or how somebody, what somebody wants. Um, And so I had a client who left me for after a, quite a bit of time and this is somebody that I kind of you know did a lot of things for you know I I would reach out to them if they needed a haircut and I kind of spoiled them a little bit and then they went somewhere else and that hurts that and that part of me hurts because I'm like oh man I did this for this person and then they went out and went with somebody else but then you have to backtrack yourself on those feelings and be like okay well his life is situational to mine i don't know if maybe he likes that guy because they do talk about sports more or they do have similar interests he maybe maybe i couldn't get him in that day so he tried this person and liked them and they fit them better so i have to have that mindset because that is barbering in itself people are going to go try different things just like you said you're going to find your guy until until you like your guy until he's your guy and then sometimes they quit being your guy and you might they might say something that you didn't really like one time and they're just like oh, okay, I got to find somebody different or they diff- their speeds different their their services have faltered so you kind of have to take your feelings out of that part yeah at first it stings and you're like ah oh, man uh that sucks i wish i could or you can even go and you can say hey man what what was it that I did that might have jumped you off because that's a learning point. You know, I can I can grow from that. Um, you know, I've had that with clients before. It's like, hey man, what was it? You know, what was it that it's like? Okay, well your your schedule didn't work out, or some people have anxiety about texting. You know, and that's how I that's how I do things. You know, as much as I try to take the anxiety out of it, some people just can't. You know, some people think that they're bothering me, and so. You have to take all of your feelings out and see maybe the situational part of it. So that's how, I mean, it does sting, but you have to be an adult at that point. Keep up to date with Jacob on Instagram. That's where you can find examples of his work and information on how to book with him. Thank you for listening to Commonplace. The show is hosted and produced by me, Nathan Thomas. Our theme song is Rescio by Goodwolf from the album Car in the Woods. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode of Commonplace. Commonplace.